Welcome to another episode of Hutch on Hunting. And this is Bruce Hutchin, your host. And if you're planning on hunting Colorado this year, Liver the Draws start in April of 2024. And if you're smart, I offer a free discovery call at Hutch on Hunting to spend a few minutes with you to kind of begin your planning process. So reach out to me at hutchonhunting at gmail.com and let me know if you'd like one of those free discovery calls. Now I'm going to turn it over to Cody Ewing. I've known Cody for many, many years, and we've hunted together. We've fished together. Uh, I was even at his wedding here a couple of years back, and he's just an amazing young man. And the hunting tradition is alive and well in Cody. So, Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. So give us a little background about Cody Ewing and hunting. Well, I would say my dad was the first one to take my brother and I out, and I think I was probably eight years old when uh, we had that first opportunity, and then it was probably the next following year um, that it really became alive to me when we had a big bull elk um, come up out of the trees in front of my brother and I, and um, as as young hunters uh, and and my dad, who was there with us, we unfortunately didn't tag out, but it was the experience I think that forever marked me as wanting to chase these majestic animals. Now, I understand as a young man, you did go to Africa on a safari with your grandfather. I did. I went back in, oh boy, 2011, I think I went. Um, I actually turned 18 over there. It was on my 18th birthday I went over there. Wow. What kind of game did you did you harvest? I harvested a warthog, uh, steinbuck, a wildebeest, and uh, an impala. No, was that with a bow or rifle? Or- uh, that was with a rifle. I had all my intentions of taking them with a bow, um, but during the uh, the process of getting over there, uh, I was told last minute that they didn't have a PH who who would who would be able to. Um, take over the bow hunting aspect and sit in blinds um so unfortunately i didn't take take my bow uh but i have every intention of going back and harvesting the bow (laughs) i was waiting for that that's for sure i was definitely waiting for that you know and i've never been to africa and so i've talked to a couple of different people actually amanda lynn from just hunt canada was on and she has a concession that she goes to all the time she has a camp on the in the concession, so she takes people over there quite a bit, and it's all bow hunting. And uh, then the other That'd be amazing, yeah. The other gen- gentleman that's been over a number of times is Joe Byers, the editor of Bowhunting dot uh, and he, you know, basically said, "Bruce, if you ever want to go, I've got it lined out." So I've I've just got to carve out the cash. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got the time. It's just carving out the cash and making the commitment, you know, to be gone from Kathy for uh, for an extended period of time, which is probably the biggest the biggest challenge. Absolutely. But this this uh, show isn't about Africa. We can visit another time about Africa and your hunt uh, over there. But we want to talk about hunting with grizzly bears and wolves because I know right from Alta, Utah that within minutes you could be into either grizzlies 
or wolves and you have competition in the woods. I do. Yes. Yeah. Right on the border here of Idaho and, and Wyoming, uh, where I live, uh, is a very unique, unique spot. It's, it's a place I've never, never hunted before. And especially coming from Colorado where I grew up and then after college moving up here is, is one of those unique areas because I think, you know, everyone always hears about the bears and, and the wolves and, and all those, the predators up here. And to say, I'll knock on wood. I've, I have personally never had any grizzly encounters uh, yet. I know it's only a matter of time where I live. Uh, it's just North of me is where they dump all of the, the problem bears out of Jackson and Yellowstone National Park. So I know they're here. I, I run across sign almost daily when I'm when I'm out in the woods um, up here. And, and so again, it's it's just another another challenge I think to overcome. Uh, at least where I live and where I hunt elk, there's two two main herds uh, that I I do have the opportunity to hunt from, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but also saying that there's three established packs. Uh, one is literally two miles as a crow flies north from me is, is where they run. And then another one is about four miles south. And those are the two big ones that were established. Uh, and that was, I think they were established late, uh, late in the 90s, so like 98, 99. And so there's there there is that that challenge there to it, um, and when they get moving, they're, they're quickly they they push out the herds real fast. Now, and how big of a herd time. are we talking about? Of not the packs, but how big a herd of elk do you have the opportunity to to hunt every fall? The, the one north of me ranges from about fifty or sixty, and the one south is sometimes around eighty head in there and so the only times um i've ever seen them actually merge into something bigger is after the season once snow flies and they move down into the valley and so um you know up here with with the snowfall we get and averaging about 500 inches of snow um, depending on the year it pushes the animals out fast from the high country and so and by then seasons are all closed down and Especially this year, we're expecting to have shorter seasons after last year's winter and the amount of winter kill, not on top of the the depredation of from predators as well. So what do the people in the area, the locals who hunt, think of the impact of both the wolves and the grizzlies have been on the local herds there? <laughs> well, uh, you have a, a very divided opinion on that. Um the the true locals in the area, you know, the born and raised, uh, aren't very fond of them, and especially because um, I don't know how controversial you probably want to get, but Idaho doesn't do the best on their at least on this side. I won't speak for the whole state, <clears throat> but managing the, the the winter herds of elk and deer, because so, since we're in a huge migratory path here, everything from the high country just moves west and south from here. And so a lot of the farmers and ranchers uh, have kind of taken means into their own hands because um, there's just, they're either not getting compensated a whole lot for 
um, the animals coming in and, and destroying their, their haystacks. Uh, and the one reason that you'll hear, since it isn't obviously a, a big, um, a good opinion to have, is they say, we never had this problem when the wolves were here because the animals could stay up higher and wouldn't get pushed down as low. And oh, so due to that, interesting. so due to that, the, I won't say the winter range has expanded, but where, where the elk and deer used to winter has pushed further out into a lot more of the ag fields. Now there is an argument to be had that people are just pushing further and further up into um, the environment that they, they live in, which definitely is an argument for that. Uh, but also again, there's the amount of predators and, and, I would say on this side and what Idaho does a great job on is, is the management of the wolves here. Again, it can be a controversial um, topic on that. However you want to look at it. Uh, I, ha I have some good friends who, who they do do well in trapping and hunting every year for, for wolves in this area. And so they're on the Idaho side. Um, and so they're able to harvest more of them than, than we are up here in Wyoming. Now, I understand it, correct me <clears> if I'm <throat> wrong, that Idaho, the season's open year round and there's no bag limit. There's no limit the number of wolves you can take. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And the unit here where, where I am in Wyoming, wolves are seen as a trophy animal. So you get, um, depending on the population of the year, when the biologists say we have this many or however many they, they deem is the large amount you're, you're able to at least get two tags in the trophy area here. And Idaho, I was reading an article on it has just opened. Yeah. An all round season and put bounties on them again. And, okay. and I believe that comes from the research that they've been doing in, uh, the salmon range in Idaho over there where, where their uh, elk populations have just taken such a huge hit. Yeah. They've been decimated. It's not yeah. a hit. They've been decimated. Yeah. And um, it's something that Colorado is going to have to be faced with. And another thing is there's a proposition going up um, to the voters again, to let the voters be game managers, which is completely crazy here in Colorado with no scientific basis against cougars and bobcats and lynx. Now, lynx is interesting that they put that on there. Um, whoever they is, the anti-hunters, yeah. the liberals, um, they put, because I don't know, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, hutchonhunting at gmail.com, uh, send me a note. I don't believe there's any lynx in Colorado. So why that is the even part of the proposition, I don't know. Yes, there's approximately 5,000, depends who you ask, 5,000 cougars. So there's probably more. Bobcats, untold numbers. And they prey. They prey cougars, mountain lions, prey on deer for the most part. Yes, they'll take uh, elk, especially herd elk or young elk. Uh, bobcats are mostly, you know, small game. And yeah, they come across a deer or an elk that's floundering. Um, yeah, they're a predator and they'll take it. So now what's happening in Colorado is we have the introduction of wolves costing millions of dollars. And now the voters are 
also going to have the opportunity to say no more hunting of cats. So now we have wolves wow. and, and cougars, apex predators, and this is going to be decided by the people who have no flipping idea how to manage deer, elk, moose. And it's just appalling that the DNR, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, spent millions of dollars reintroducing moose to Colorado. And we have a good moose herd now. But guess what? Wolves love to eat. Moose. Moose. I mean, because they're easy prey, easier than elk. Oh, yeah. Especially when they get trapped down in down in draws or, or yeah, canyons. they're trapped by the snow. Yep. And they're in the willows, they're in the creek bottoms, river bottoms, where willows are. So it doesn't take long before, you know, a pack can take down a moose and have three, four, five, six hundred pounds of meat to eat. Um, and that's what they're built to do, folks. You might say, well, Bruce, you know, what are you going to against wolves? Absolutely nothing. I've been fortunate to be up in BC, fortunate enough to harvest wolves. But in BC, they decimated the mule deer herds along the Fraser River and caribou and moose. They haven't been friendly to the environment. So we need balance, folks. They need to be scientifically, quote unquote, scientifically managed. And it seems there's people in our world today, and I won't get political on any other area, but the management of our species. Because in the Bible, it says in Genesis, we will have dominion. That means we're in control, in charge of managing everything that happens on planet Earth. And we're failing, folks, period. I know Hutch and Hunting's a hunting show, or you thought you were going to in a hunting show, but you're going to get a dose of reality because our planet, our country is hurting for a lot of different reasons. But if we go back and just use common sense, which is highly uncommon now, we would be able to figure out, work together for the betterment of the species. And I'd love to have wolves in Colorado. I'm not against having wolves. Just manage them efficiently and effectively. And if you don't, it all gets out of balance and somebody's dog is going to get eaten within five years when they're hiking up in the high country, the dog's going to get eaten or worse. And don't tell me that it won't happen because I've been surrounded by seven wolves. I've been nine feet from a grizzly bear. It's their territory and I have to respect that. So confrontations will happen. Guaranteed. There isn't maybe or that doesn't happen or we don't have records on that. It will happen. And I've told people continually that in a decade, hunting as we know in Colorado will not exist. Your thoughts, Cody? As I went on that rant? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it's misplaced at all to say any of that. Um, you know, and I like, hear several stories just from this area. <clears throat> and this this just isn't up here in Wyoming, but it's in the Teton Valley and, and all around. Um, a friend of mine's son and this was three, four years ago, was up bow hunting the back country and um, was actually treed by a pack of wolves and um, didn't have a sidearm on him or anything, just had his bow. And he was treed for several hours. And so I, I think it's a misnomer to say, you know, wolves won't attack humans or won't uh, prey upon them. It's, it's in their nature. It's in their blood. And uh, again, another, another, uh, friend's son he was out 
and he had a sidearm, but he had three wolves encircle him. And uh, it wasn't until he 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 fired his his sidearm, uh, not at them or anything like that, but just general direction is when uh, they started thinking again, but they didn't back down. Um, and this was in I think three four years ago as well, down in um, in between Driggs and Victor, Idaho. Here, um, a juvenile pack of wolves had been uh, terrorizing uh, these people's uh, goat farm. So they do goat milk, uh, cheese, uh, soap, you know, things like that that people make with it. And uh, they were just complaining that, you know, some of their goats were uh, were disappearing. And uh, since they lived in Idaho, they had a call, Idaho Fishing Game, for it. And it started this little dispute because the wolves were coming out from Wyoming in the hills and traveling down into the valley, killing at night, weren't eating, but just killing because it's juvenile pack. And then in the mid morning going back up. And so it went on for a couple months. And then uh, it was one morning they came out and it was 24 dead goats in, in their pasture. And uh, they obviously wanted, um, wanted to be paid out obviously, you know, for uh, the wolves killing their, their herd. And, Idaho wouldn't pay him because the wolves were coming out of Wyoming and Wyoming wouldn't pay him because they were in Idaho. And so I don't, I don't know exactly how that eventually sorted itself out. Um, but I imagine since wolves have unfortunately become an animal of, of politics, um, it's just, there, there's really no win-win unfortunately, because it's no fault of their own. I think it's just, just people, in places of power who don't live in this area probably wouldn't find themselves in this area who want to make policies and decisions for animals and to touch touch on what you're saying in Colorado about not being able to hunt cats i remember when i guided in Colorado and worked for Horn Fort guides over in Buena Vista i know that's a big cat area and um, on one occasion, I was actually tracked out of the woods at night by a cat. And that was Colorado. And then I moved up here after college. And this was three years ago. I had uh, a female mountain lion um, who had a den nearby who, over the course of the winter, killed, I found at least 24 kill sites of mule deer in the creek bottom. And so, I mean, if... If we play those numbers out, there's, like I said, that was over the course of, of the, of the winter. So from February to March, and I mean, that, that's more deer than I'll kill in probably 24 years. True. If you look at it like that. And, and I mean, and they're born and built for that. And I'd heard another story again, someone can correct me if I'm wrong through hutch on honey.gmail.com, but they, they were saying that, um, these wolf packs will follow big toms in the high country. And um, they've learned that they're more of effective killers than wolves are, at least the stalking game and getting close to deer. And they've started taking kills off of big cats. So I think you can probably say a cattle eat if there's no pressure on them, uh, a mule deer every two weeks, maybe. And so, I mean, that's, that's a pretty generous number, I think. <clears throat> maybe it's less, maybe it's more. 
but anyways, these wolves were starting to follow this, this big Tom around. And so he would kill two or three additional deer to get the wolves off his back so he could have a meal in peace. And so, you know, and you hear stories like that, whether it's correct or not, I don't know, you know, it's, it's hearsay at this point. Um, I don't think it's far fetched. Uh, and so, you know, in Colorado with the reintroduction of wolves and I was talking to a buddy about this probably two years ago. And I was like, man, anything you can do to, to vote no on that and get as many people to vote no on that, because you, I think a lot of people are very short-sighted and don't look back at history for what's happened, but Wyoming and Montana suffered greatly in their, their hunting industry as a source of revenue and income when wolves were reintroduced. And, you know, this, I'm sure the people on, on this podcast and who will be listening to it understand and see to a degree as well, that it's just a, a large level of poor mismanagement and something does need to be done, but I don't think there's particularly a good, um, a good answer for it. Because within that, that means populations have to be managed and managed properly. And I think it's it's a personal opinion that I I I hold, and and a belief as well that if I'm out there uh, hunting and harvesting an animal, you know, Lord willing, then by being a conservationist and a sportsman, if if I truly believe that's what I am, then it's also my responsibility to harvest an an animal that I might not be targeting or wanting to target. So that falls into the category of, of bears, of wolves, of cats. Um, I mean, even, even coyotes for that matter, because they do a number on, on um, white tail fawns and mule deer fawns every year. And, you know, I could probably add as well that in I'll give away my location by saying this, but if anyone wants to come and hunt bears, hit me up. Uh, we have too many of them here. Black bears, at least. <laughs> We're still waiting for them to delist the the grizz um, up here. But we have, and this was the last um, last count on population of black bears in in my area. And this, uh, there were more black bears per capita than in the East Coast or something like that. I mean, my numbers might be off, but they're saying for every person that's hiking, there's at least five bears, black bears, not grizzlies. And so there's just not, I'd say it's a game rich environment for them in the sense as well as there's a lot of grazing that can be done after they come out of hibernation because it's so wet here that their populations boom. And last year, I mean, it was a really cool opportunity to see it I was able to place a trail camera on a, on a bear den that I had stumbled across and caught him going in for hibernation and caught him coming out of hibernation. And yeah, it was a very cool experience to going in there. And, um, my buddy and I, we actually went in the den, um, this past summer to go and look around. And so, I mean, it was really cool to see that. And, um, that same bear has come back with, I th- she was without a cub this year. She had her cub from last year with her going in hibernate. So, I mean, she'll be coming out with, with, uh, with cubs. I'm positive of it this year. And, and saying that, I mean, the side of black bears, I think this year, and unfortunately I didn't have a lot of time to hunt or get out in the high country, but I saw probably three, three bears per day that I was, I was going out. 
Um, and I wasn't going out in like the, the same areas either. And so, I mean, 15 bears in the course of a week, if that comes out right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so again, I, I look at it as living in God's creation and everything out here. Um, I don't hold any malice towards one animal or another. And I count myself fortunate and lucky and blessed when I'm able to see a wolf in the out in the environment, when I'm able to see a grizz at a distance and not have an encounter with it and just see all these animals out and about, uh, you know, and it, some, I think Wyoming does a pretty good job on in their management side is taking consideration of the hunters in the field every year after they do a survey. And that's one thing I always will express to people coming and hunting Wyoming is please give the survey at the end. And they do a really good job of listening to that. And uh, like this year from the surveys that went in, I wouldn't be surprised if they limit out the amount of mule deer tags that people will be able to, to, to grab mule deer. Well, I'd say all the species that are hunted. So it might be a very good year to come up and predator hunt Wyoming. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't have many outfitters uh, that I can plug in here for uh, wolf and bear hunts and cat hunts, but um, I'd say look and, and come up here and do that. Uh, if you don't draw your, your deer or elk or antelope tag and that, you know, as well as just, I think Wyoming does a, a very good job at, at managing I think there's people who disagree and yes, it could always be done better, but as a whole, I, I would still like to stay positive about it and say they're doing a better job because I think we've seen what the wolves will do in a long-term case study. Um, and so from that, I feel like they're doing a good job. I think Idaho does a good job for what they do as well as Montana. I'm still very shocked at Colorado, knowing that a huge portion of the state's income is through sportsmen. That's just very shocking to me. And uh, on that note, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you and stop rambling. <laughs> Thanks, Cody. That's great insight. And great information coming from somebody that's hunted a lot, had a lot of experiences, and uh, loves the wild country. There's no question about it. I'll give a shout out for Dan Gates, SaveTheHuntColorado.com. And if you're not familiar with it, plug it in, Google, Save the Hunt com, And he is heading up the fight to defeat the Proposition 101 that is going to make, quote unquote, trophy hunting of cats illegal in Colorado. And if that passes, folks, forget the decade. I can't stay here or stand here or speak here the year. So if it passes in 2024, I don't know if it become law in 2025. Go to SaveTheHuntColorado.com and get all the details. I do know just last week, Colorado put up an FAQ to the issue on cats and the hunting of cats. And one thing the liberals did, the people don't want to see hunting in Colorado. It's not about the animals, folks. It's about our right to hunt in Colorado. Right now, it's a privilege. And I've, Rick Taggart, he's in the Congress of the state. He and I have been talking and we've been trying to get a right to hunt and fish in Colorado bill passed <clears throat> or proposition passed for over half a million people, 300,000 fishermen licenses. Okay. 300,000 licenses were sold and 
250,000 tags, big game tags were sold. That's half a million hunters. So getting back to Cody's point, if all half a million people just touched one person other than themselves, that's a million votes. Well, a million votes would defeat this proposition. Again, I'm no expert in election, but reach out to SaveTheHuntColorado.com, talk to Gan Gates, and figure out how we, the hunters and fishermen, and non-residents, you're impacted also because your ability to come and hunt Colorado for elk and deer and moose, it's going to be minimized. There's no question about it. They're going to eradicate the White River herd, which is one of the biggest herds in the state. It's going to be eradicated. Up in Grand Mesa, the largest moose herd in the state is going to be diminished. So that's our political stance for this edition of Hutch on Hunting. Now I'm going to flip it over to the exciting part about Cody's techniques, use of, I'm going to give a plug to uh, Conquest Sense, the elk scent uh, that they produce. And I introduced Cody to that for a couple of years ago. So how'd that work out, Cody? Uh, you know, I... I, I, I have to say, I absolutely love it. I'm not I'm not one to particularly say one's better than the other, but I would say in, in this uh, in this circumstance, like getting off work or something like that, if I'm in camo or not, I'll throw that scent on. And um, I've, especially with wind and the thermals, you know, and hunting the high country that we always have to take into consideration. I've been able to get on, on animals, um, quite a bit and just having um, a cover scent. And I believe the one is what I call it, Evercalm or. Yeah. And that's elk. It's elk, um, the elk Evercalm. Yeah. Elk Evercalm. And it does, I think it does wonders. Um, and I, I, I came off of work one, one day and I hit the hills as fast as I could be up there for last light. And, just had that. And so I was sweaty for my work day. And uh, it's nice because it comes in like that deodorant stick you can just rub on. And uh, I was able to get into some into some elk and they're just cows and calves, uh, but had that on and the wind was swirling. And, you know, I, I was right in there with them at about 20, 30 yards and weren't the wiser for it. And it was great experience. And <clears throat> I think as, as someone who Yes, harvesting is 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 the goal of an animal every year, but having unique experiences with wildlife in the backcountry is ultimately why I do it and why I love it. And to just be that much closer to the animals that that I love to see and to uh, have those experiences with is is all worth it. And so, Evercalm is uh, conquest senses. <laughs> I think is where it's at. And I'm sure Doug and Karen will thank you for that that shout out, that plug. So let's talk about your technique, whether archery hunting or rifle hunting. So up here, um, when I'm fortunate, work allows, and uh, when uh, I can, I like to hunt from end of August is when the archery season opens up, is like the 30th, first, somewhere in there. 30th of August, first September. Um, and I like to try to hunt till end of October. Um, because Wyoming has differences in their their eat how each unit is set up for archery and then each unit set up for a rifle and sometimes they'll overlap and then just carry over. Um, and so where where I'm at currently, I 
and thankfully, since I've been here for some years, I I know where where most of the herds are going to start to herd up, um, especially when those bulls start coming and rutting. Um, so there's a few areas I know, and uh, I'd say a lot of it comes down to uh, scouting, preseason scouting, just in seeing where they're at. And uh, here where we do have a lot of water every year, um, dry, dry years, you can kind of bet when you can find a source of water, they're going to be there, but you can't really rely on it as much because there's a lot in the area. So that's one thing is water holes. Um, and since a lot of the area here is real thick timber, even carrying over into rifle season, um, I hunt it pretty much the same, same way. And, and that is, I, I have only one tree stand that I use pretty much for, for deer. Sometimes you'll see an elk come through. Uh, but you know, and I'm sure most of your listeners know elk, elk aren't shy of moving miles during the night if they need to move to feed or water. And so knowing them and patterning them, I think, which comes into obviously ultimately patterning whitetail. I think from hunting whitetail, it's, it's made me probably a better elk hunter, um, just in seeing and focusing on like their patterns and where they're going to go. And yeah, scouting, if you can, from a distance, I've always found is, is really great through spotting scope or binoculars. Um, so that's, I'd say those are probably my, my main methods there. And and talking to anyone who will share information on the hunt in the area. Local knowledge is a good thing. So it is. When you started to hunt whitetails, I know we had a number of conversations, and this is going to be a plug for why people should reach out to Hutchin Hunting and use my... Um, Use my knowledge, use my wisdom. And um, so share a story about how our, our conversations helped you get your first whitetail up there in uh, Wyoming. Yeah, um, I've from that experience, I've, I've definitely have, um, I'm actually looking at my two bucks that I harvested back to back from that knowledge I'm hanging on my wall. And, uh, you know, I've, I've come since I didn't grow up hunting whitetail by any means. Um, they've become a very, uh, I've become very fond of hunting them. And, you know, I won't say, you know, one animals over another, they're just hunted differently. And I enjoy the different challenges that each one brings to the table. Um, but this one buck in particular, I, in my early, early years of hunting whitetail is when I was on the phone with you. I feel like every other day, um, I had him thought I had him patterned. Um, the first year and that didn't work out and I had him on camera for four consecutive years and each year you know I kept seeing him get bigger and bigger which was a very cool experience to see um, and um, I did have access to private property where I knew he came through um, but as I found out through year two and three he wasn't quite where I thought he would be and since he was a, a larger dominant buck in the area, um, he traveled a lot, especially during the rut. And so um, there would definitely be weeks where I, I wouldn't have him on camera. And um, through talking with you, I, I started realizing that our, our buck to doe ratio was off. And so um, that was kind of learning and seeing how how that worked out through like that four years of hunting him and so it was finally the third year 
the well, I should say the end of the third year sheds. And I was able to find them sometimes, which was kind of clue cue me in on where he was hanging out actually, which was in the creek bottom, about a mile and a half off the property from which I had access on. And when I finally got clued into that, um, is what ultimately um led to the success of harvesting him. And um that that being said, he was a probably five and a half year old deer and who was very wise, very intelligent. And it was one evening, it was getting pretty, pretty late. And I ended up getting them just into shooting light. Um, and thankfully, I say thankfully, because um, archery and rifle were, were kind of both in the same. So it was r- rifle season, but I could still shoot archery. Um, and, I caught him coming up out of the creek bottom and I, I thought, so finally I see where you're coming out of. Um, cause you know, the, a lot of the creek bottoms where these big bucks hang down in, it's just nasty thick and trying to go in after him is almost impossible. And so he came up and, uh, came, came right into position. And that's where, that's where I finally got him. And it was about 50, 55 yard shot. And I, saw him kick and I, but I thought I'd missed. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I couldn't wait. And I, my cousin and, and his, uh, I think his fiance at the time were out hunting with me. And I was like, I just got to go and check just at least see if there's blood and, uh, went out, found blood. And I thought, Oh my word, I think I've done it. And he probably went so 25 yards and was piled up. And it was one of the best experiences, but then it all of a sudden hit me as now what? <laughs> and uh, I was able then uh, the next week to to harvest another great, great buck on that as well. And so that, and in the area where I'm at, there's a lot of ag fields. And so I would say, again, I like the the idea of getting up and to a vantage point and just classing a lot, just getting eyes on them. And then it's looking at maps and seeing where their bedding area would be and where their transitions are and c- coming to and from. And that was, that was a lot of the biggest help that helped me because the amount of times I, I busted deer just being in the wrong place at the wrong time and not paying attention to any of really the thermals or where the heck they were bedding or anything like that. And once getting all of that into taking that into consideration and being able to set up properly um, is yeah what led to the success of getting whitetail and you're turned into quite the whitetail hunter actually and, I, I'm proud, I am, I, and i'm proud of you and you got them on the wall i got them on the wall yeah and cody's got a couple of bulls on the wall too so that I do. I, like I said, I can't, um, I can't say I, I love hunting one more than the other. Uh, this year, if I'm fortunate to get my mule deer tag, uh, I want to go after a, a mule deer because that's one species. I, uh, at least a, a decent buck that I, I don't have yet that I would love to hunt an old wise gray face mule deer. Well, where you live, you know, I try to get up in the Alpine and hunt them early myself. You know, if I was going to do it, that's, when I would do it because get catch them, scout them in the bachelor groups up high when they're still in the velvet and then find the one you want and then hunt them. Yep. But you know, 
living where you live and the altitude and, you know, the challenge of that, it's going to be tough. There's no question about it. But with good glass, I mean, you can glass a mile, mile and a half, and you can pick out, you know, a bachelor group. And that's the way I would do it. And I'd love to go on that hunt with you, but that isn't that isn't the cards anymore. That's we'll see not if I can't happen. get any horses. <laughs> yeah, if we had horses, I could do it. That's for sure. But any um we've covered a lot, Cody. And any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I think I say it with reservation and hesitation. Um, because I want hunting to I think remain what it is, but also be better in quality of game and access to uh to BLM or national forest. Uh and so I know it's like a double-edged sword, right? Is invite people to um I don't say a hobby, but a lifestyle that we all enjoy. And yet knowing that that's going to be another person you're bringing in, that might be competition. Um, which I said, I don't like to think of it that way because um, I think when we look at it more as like a way of life or a brotherhood and for the female hunters out there, sisterhood of, of being in the outdoors is, is the way that, that it moves forward in the future. Um, and I know we could talk more on, um, people buying up big chunks of land and turn them into habitat for things like that, where it ultimately becomes a rich man's sport. Um, I think the more people that we have, I don't want to say hunting, but having a respect for it um, is where, you know, like proposition, is it one-on-one that you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, eventually those won't be passed because people will, you know, hopefully see that there's um there's a way of life that's living closer to the land that they view what ethical hunting. And I, even then I, I, I hate to say ethical hunting because I feel like everyone should just have that as a frame of reference when they go into the woods and hunt. Um, but ethical hunting is and can be, and it is for the betterment of, of population control of animals, um, harvesting, and overall being able to see more animals out and about when it's done well. Um, so that's, I'd say that is probably my closing thought is, is bringing people in. And I think a lot of hunters could probably do a better job of um, sharing what and why they love hunting and it not being around just killing an animal to kill an animal, but the lifestyle around it and why we all enjoy it. And so those are probably my closing thoughts. Well said. I'm going to give a shout out for Dan Gates and savethehuntcolorado.com. If you're a hunter and have ever bought a fishing license, hunting license in Colorado, you need to go to that site, give them five bucks, give them whatever you can afford or give them your support. You know, money is one thing, but social media has more power than your money. So we need you. Because if that proposition passes by the people on the front range, which they, by just a few points, beat out the rest of the state to allow wolves to be reintroduced to spend millions of dollars, not thousands of dollars, but millions of dollars of yours and my money, because that's where it comes from, folks. CPW is funded by license tags, not by park memberships or park receipts, but fishing and hunting revenue is generated by fishermen and hunting 
So why would you even consider letting somebody that has no skin in the game other than they don't want you hunting and fishing, period? Think about that. Comments to hutchonhunting at gmail.com. Join me at hutchonhunting.com and become a member of the fastest growing research platform, digital scouting in the state of Colorado at hutchonhunting.com. So this is Bruce Hutchin. I look forward to speaking with all of you again. And my show's coming up every week. So, and I've got almost 20 people lined up. So I got 20 weeks already. It's not even whatever date it is, January 27th. And, you know, I should hit realistically, I'm going for 100,000 uh, downloads this year. And I've done that before with another podcast, had to do with whitetails. And I hit um, 100,000 each year with that. So when I stopped, I had over half a million downloads. So if you're a manufacturer, a guide, or in the outdoor industry, reach out to me at hutchandhunting.com and say, hey, Bruce, let's talk. I'd like to be part of your platform as a sponsor, as a supporter, as somebody that's going to be an influencer for you. You know, reach out to me at hutchandhunting at gmail.com. And with that, God bless you all. And we'll talk to you real soon.